You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Why don't we have all of our mothers here stand? We just want to recognize you. We got some little gifts that the kids are going to pass out. So let's give it up for the moms. All you mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and future mothers and all that fun stuff. Um, this is always an awkward moment for me. But uh, anyway, they're going to pass out this stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I remember a survey. I read it, and it said... Uh, it was on what mothers wanted uh, not to do on Mother's Day. And so obviously you want to be here because you're here. But um, I think at the top of the list, girls, moms, not, no cooking. Amen? amen? And then I think on the next, it was like no sports on TV. Okay? Amen? Yeah. And then, um, of course, there's no cooking. There's no dishes. So no dishwashing, right? Guys, how many of you guys know that the whole dishwashing thing can wait till Monday for these ladies, right? Yeah. <laughs> And then I think the third thing or fourth thing <laughs> was like no carpooling, driving stuff, all that. So, um, and I'm sure you got more on, on your list, but uh, anyway, we love you. I don't know if my mom's here. She's usually second service, but if you're here, mom, I don't know. Thank you 61 years ago for all the pain you endured to birth me. All that fun stuff. Yeah. And may you women have a blessed, blessed, relaxing day. Amen, guys? Yes, I think it's, it warrants a good foot massage for sure. So as they're passing, I'm going to pray as well for, for all the moms. I know that today also can be a, a difficult day for um, those that have a mother in heaven, a grandmother, uh, whatnot. And even those, this has become dear to us as well, that um, have miscarried. Um, our daughter, Kelsey and Trevor, who found out they were pregnant a couple of months ago, they let us know last week they miscarried, and others around have come forward, and, and we have as well. And These are just heavy moments uh, for them. They've ran to Jesus, and they're so grateful for all the prayers. When they came to us, they're like, we, we're not going to be quiet about this. We want people praying for us and standing with us, and we're proud of the, the life that we will embrace in heaven one day, and can't wait to, to have children and all that, but um, she was like, Dad, why don't you pray for us? There's a lot of us going through these, these kind of things, so um, a good day to be praying these things on Mother's Day. So, Father, we pray for uh, these first and foremost that might have a heavy heart, you know, parents in heaven, grandparents in heaven, and maybe even children, and, and this day is bittersweet in that it just weighs heavy on their heart. We pray for comfort and we pray for peace. And Lord, we're believers, so we're so excited that we get to embrace our loved ones in faith again throughout eternity. We thank you for all these mothers that are here and for Lori, my wife, and just this morning to embrace her and just thank her for being such an awesome mommy to these three amazing girls and all these other moms that are here as well lord bless them bless them bless them we pray in jesus name amen and amen well let's turn our bibles over to the book of acts we're going to be picking up in verse 32 so if you're new around here thanks for joining us online as well if you know maybe you're a a non-believer and you're not a Christian yet. 
and someone has invited you and maybe sent you the link online and you're watching, I know that oftentimes on certain holidays and days like this, Mother's Day, um, a lot of people will just be like, in honor of mom, I'll go where she goes. I'll hang out with mom and, and we'll see some people in church. And, and, and it's not just a coincidence. It's not because your mom invited you or, or you know, we believe that, that we are all here as a result of people praying for us and that it's, it's divine providence that we're here. Like, this is no coincidence to God. He has something for every one of us, believer and non-believer alike. And so I would just encourage you to really open up your heart, especially if you're a non-believer. At the end of our services, I usually pray a prayer and ask people to follow me in that prayer if they want to invite Jesus into their life and become a Christian like we are. So be open to that. Be, be ready for that. Um, and, and we're actually in a passage of Scripture here where um, that's going to happen. So in Acts chapter 2, we come to the first sermon in the book of Acts. It's Peter who gives the first sermon of many sermons through the book of Acts. And it's a sermon that focuses on, on Jesus. It was the season of Pentecost. And that meant that Jews from all over Jerusalem and beyond Jerusalem would come and commemorate that feast. And there were all kinds of ethnicities and it would be the day Jesus, before he ascended, had told the disciples to tarry, to hang out in Jerusalem, don't leave. And there would be the promise of the Father. And that referred to what the Holy Spirit would be doing, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them. And, and, and ten days after Jesus ascends to heaven, 120 are gathered in the room, an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. Peter's one of them. And the promise of the Father, as Jesus said would happen, happened. And as the Spirit poured out upon them, maybe even as you were worshiping this morning, you felt the presence of God just coming over you, the Holy Spirit coming over you. I know I did, and I was just like, whoa, this is great, man. I'm about to preach on this. Thank you. You know, this is great. But that, that's what was happening. They were just seeking the Lord for those 10 days, and man, the promise of the Father came. They began to speak in different tongues. And, and that, just the sound of all of this, and the, it drew a massive crowd around this room where these 120 were. And, and they were from different areas as well. Luke mentions, I believe, 15 different people were hearing their distinct dialect. Whether these were all Galileans, you know, all Jews from the northern part of Israel who would have spoke primarily Aramaic, but now they're speaking different dialects from Asia and, and Pergia and, and Pamphylia and Egypt and Libya and Cyrene and even as far as Rome. All these Arab languages and different languages. They're like, what is this? And they were amazed. They were saying to one another, well, you know, how can this be and what does this mean? Some mocks that they were just, you know, drunk. But it was early in the morning. So that, that at that time, Peter would stand up and address that crowd, a massive crowd. And he would say, look, look, these people aren't drunk. And he would give three points, the, 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 the what, the how, and the why in his message. He would explain to all those people what, what they're actually seeing happen is biblical. It was spoken about. These are all 
devout Jews, devout enough to leave Egypt where they lived and come and commemorate and remember a feast in Jerusalem. They're devout. So they knew the word, but they were ignorant to like when some of these prophecies and the promises of the Father would actually be, be accomplished. And so Peter stands up and he connects what they see to the word of God, which is something we should always be able to do as it relates to what we are and what we practice. And so they're, they're not drunk. The, 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 the what is, no, this is what the father had promised would happen through the prophet Joel. And what he was trying to, to do was say, this is all part of the plan of God. A plan that would involve a set time upon a set era where the Spirit would do a unique work. And this is part of it. And that plan of God would not just be something that he would support. as saying, like, this is biblical. This is about the Word of God. But he would say the plan of God is not just about the Word of God. The plan of God is also about the Son of God. And he would just take them right into, again, just understanding who Jesus is. Remember, again... They missed that. Fifty days earlier, the Jews were celebrating the crucifixion of Jesus. Crucify him, crucify him. Fifty days later, Jesus has walked on the earth, raised from the dead for 40 days. Ten days earlier, he ascends into heaven. And, and, and now the Spirit's poured out, as Jesus said, would happen. And so Peter's connecting all of those dots. And this is something that they needed to understand. They needed to understand who Jesus was. They needed to understand who they nailed on a cross. That's significant. Prior to the Spirit being poured out upon this group, there was no church. This is the birthing of the church. And Peter's first sermon and the results to that sermon, you tie in as well to the birthing of the church. Prior to this day, there was no church. On this day, there's the birthing of the church. And so, as he talks about this being the plan of God, it's a plan of salvation, a plan with a Savior. So we read there a couple of weeks ago in verses 22 through 24 that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the one attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. It was a way of saying, you guys know he did things that only deity can do. You guys know this. And you know who he is because in verse 23, you guys nailed him to the cross. You put him to death. God was offering salvation to us. He was right there demonstrating who the Savior was, and you guys missed it. But part of God's plan also involved not just giving up his son to die on that cross, but that he would be raised from the dead. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so the deity of Christ, and it's just validated by the resurrection of Christ. And then to further confirm the resurrection as part of God's plan for the Messiah, which they missed, 
he quotes now, not from Joel again, but from now a psalm, Psalm 16, verse 25, if you'll take note. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is even with us to this day. Therefore, in light of that, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. 31. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So part of God's plan is this promise that he gave to David. So he reaches all the way back, Peter does here, to, to, to David's view of the Messiah in Psalm 16 being raised from the dead. It is actually a prophecy of the heart and words of Jesus through the lips of David. It describes the Messiah's confident trust in God as he looked to the cross. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. So we look at that prophecy that was expressed through David, a reference to Christ, and is keeping his focus on the Father no matter what came his way. Peter's like, you guys need to understand this. this. When David was talking about this, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the coming Messiah. Now, the coming Messiah was part of the Father's plan. And part of the Father's plan is that he would, he would die. But he just kept focused. He would not be shaken. His confidence was in the Father's protection. That's why he would say, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. That's something to understand about Jesus. He experienced joy in his flesh during his mission as the Messiah. Even the writer of Hebrews would say, referring to him at the cross, that for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. The pain was real. The, the, what, everything he went through, the, the agony was real. The joy is what he knew would come. The, 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 the saved souls, you, me, those that would be spending eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever. That's what brought him joy in fulfilling his mission. So he was able to abide in hope because in verse 27, he knew his father would not leave his soul in Hades. He would not stay dead. He would commit his body to the grave with this confident hope that he would be raised to life again. You can imagine some of these going, you know, Jesus did talk with great confidence about his death, burial, and his resurrection. The dots, I'm sure, were starting to connect. 
29, Peter reminds them that David, well, well, he died and was buried. Guys, let me speak freely to you about the patriarch. You know that he's, he's dead. We've even got his tomb. You know that. So that provides visible evidence that he was not the one to fulfill this prophecy because the one that is to fulfill this prophecy continues to live on beyond their death. So David spoke as a prophet, not of himself. He knew that God had promised to him with an oath that one of his descendants would sit upon his throne forever and ever and ever. And that was given in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. David knew that. Again, if David was dead, which he, he was, he could not have been referring to himself. It's very important. So what do, what do you do with the prophecy of Psalm 16? Peter, he gives strong argument that David was looking ahead and he was speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do you do with that? Peter says, it's right that it should have happened because the scriptures rightly spoke and said clearly that this would happen, that this would be the case with the Messiah. And so we have the prophecy of of God's word. We have the presence of David's tomb, knowing that that prophecy did not refer to David. And then we also have witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Imagine all these people. They came, they're tripping out. First of all, these people are like completely drunk. It's early in the morning, but they're drunk. Listen to them. Peter's like, no, they're not. This is the plan of God. And part of the plan of God, referred to in, by the prophet Joel, was that the Spirit would be poured out. And this is all supported by the Word of God. But it's also supported by the Son of God. Because the plan of God involved the Son of God becoming the Messiah. And the Messiah as we read through scripture regarding the plan of God, should suffer and die. He should die on a cross, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. But he should be raised from the dead. David prophesied about this. We also have witnesses. The question is, did he raise from the dead? If, if we're talking about this Jesus whom you crucified, did he indeed fulfill that prophecy of Psalm 16 and raise from the dead? Well, yeah, Peter's like, for, for 40 days, man. We have all these dependable witnesses. Many who had a hard time believing that he would be raised from the dead. Peter would have been one of those early on. I could see Peter just welling up at this particular point in time in his message. Just becoming crazy, passionate. Because just... A few weeks earlier, he went to that empty tomb. On that very day, Peter encountered him. Later on that day, Jesus would encounter Peter again with a multitude of disciples hunkering down. Later on, that group was without Thomas. A week later, with Thomas. What was that like? Peter was part of that that, that group in Luke 24 where 
where, you know, after the Emmaus disciples who saw Jesus on the road and he was talking to them, they came back and he was all part of that. Jesus shows up in the rooms like, behold my hands and my feet. What kind of conviction do you think Peter was talking about to this massive group of people when he began to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead? I'm sure he never forgot what Jesus felt like in that resurrected body. Jesus would say in Luke 24, 44 through 46, he reminded them, guys, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Could you imagine where Peter could have ran with at that point in the sermon? Just referring back to, yeah, when he came in and he showed us his hands and his feet, we were freaked out. He's like, don't be afraid. He's like, don't you guys know that, that, that all in the, the, in, in the Torah it talks about this should be happening? In the prophets talked about this should be happening? In the psalmist, there's all these prophecies saying this should have happened? Listen. To the skeptic standing in the crowd, Peter would have looked at the skeptic and said, I was just like you. I too did not connect the dots, the scriptures from the Torah, from the prophets and the Psalms to what Jesus was telling me for three and a half years. I too had to be brought along. But with welled up eyes and with a passionate heart and with the grip of God and being filled with the Spirit and the awareness of Jesus being raised from the dead, Peter begins to speak. And he's like, guys, we're witnesses. We, we, we saw him. And this went on and on for 40 days. And then he gives more proof of the resurrection Peter's fourth proof of the resurrection of Christ was the presence of the Holy Spirit, verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see. This which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. Again, Peter, very logical here. If the Holy Spirit is in the world as you guys are witnessing firsthand, then God must have sent him. Joel promised that one day the Spirit would come. Jesus had promised to send the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people. John 14, 26, and again, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. But if Jesus is dead, if that one we claim to be the Messiah and you've rejected as the Messiah and you crucified him and he's still in the grave, then he could not have sent the Spirit. But because we have the Holy Spirit, he must be alive. Amen? Furthermore, he could not send the Holy Spirit unless he had returned to the Father. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper 
will not come to you. Now Jesus has ascended to heaven. And to back up this statement, Peter quotes here Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. A scripture that could not be applied to David. And so Peter's conclusion is it was both a declaration and an accusation. Jesus is your Messiah, but the accusation is you guys crucified him. Was there any hope? Absolutely, as we'll see. Peter gives a third explanation that was good news to their heart, and that's the why it happened. Why did this all happen? As we look at the the plan of God, verse 36 Therefore, let all the house of Israel, Peter's still preaching here, let all the house of Israel, let all of us Jews know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, so he sums it all up in the fact that he talks about the identity, his mission, that he is the Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, as maybe to those that are here or listening online that are like, man, I've been wrong about Jesus. What do I do? What's the answer? Verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and even to your children, to the next generation and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified And exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I love this. So we have in this sermon the the what happened, the how it happened, as it refers to the plan of God. And now we have the why. And Peter's basically saying this all of this happened to save. Sinners. That's why it's happened. When they heard this, though, it says that they were cut to the heart. In the Greek, it's a word that, that it's, it's katen uzo in the, in the Greek. And it's a word that basically describes someone getting stabbed suddenly, stabbed unexpectedly. Like they didn't expect this to happen, this result. They were cut so deep to the heart, they weren't expecting it. This was a surprise. Like, I'm set on my course on life. I've already put Jesus in whatever category other than the Messiah, other than my Savior, that I've put him in, and that will never change. But all of a sudden, on this one day, in this one setting, as this one man was clarifying through the word of God who Jesus was, Something began to happen deep within my soul, man. 
the core of who I am began to be rocked by the truth of these words relating to Jesus. They were caught off by this inner conviction. But this inner conviction had grabbed a hold of them. They didn't expect that. They, they, they realized a conviction of being wrong. They were, they were wrong. That's where, the, that's where you start. They, they realized they were wrong about Jesus. They realized the truth about Jesus, that he really was the Messiah. And that's part of what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Remember, again, now, the Holy Spirit's poured out upon Peter. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is speaking through Peter. And one of the things that Jesus said the Spirit would do would be to convict the world of sin. At the same time, he's revealing truth about Jesus. So he's convicting these people about being wrong with Jesus. At the same time, he's showing them what's right about Jesus. And if that's happening in your heart here this morning, online or wherever, man, you need to be responsible with that. You need to be very responsible. This is very sobering. Don't just, don't just shrug this off. What must we do? That's the, what must we do to make it right because we've been wrong. They expressed the words that countless millions of people would cry out over the centuries to follow when the Holy Spirit would convict sinners about Jesus. This is the cry of an honest heart that realizes honestly before God that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. The cry of an honest heart that is willing to submit and surrender to God's love, to God's gift, to what Peter would be talking about here in this sermon, to God's plan, his plan of salvation. So Peter said, repent. When it comes to salvation, it's not about some sort of work that we must do, otherwise when they're asking the question about what we must do to be right with Jesus, Peter would have listed off the things that they would need to do. And here we are 2,000 years later, and there are countless millions of people that in our generation and generations before us have been taught that salvation is based upon work that you do. You've got to do these works. You've got to do these things. That is not what the Bible teaches. Peter says, no, no, no. You, you, you've got to, to repent. When, when you repent, you're recognizing that, number one, there, there is this God that's convicting you. You're wrong about his son. And, and, and when you, you're turning to God, there's a work that needs to happen Salvation doesn't just happen. There is a work that needs to happen, but the work of salvation is God. It's what God produces in our life. Our part is to act in faith. We repent. We change directions. That's what the word repent means. You believe Jesus maybe was a blasphemer and a fraud and whatever else the Romans and the, the 
the chief priest and everybody had made him out to be. That's what you believed. You believed that he died and he was buried and his, 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 his you know, the popular thing around that time was that his disciples came and stole his body. You believed all of that, that he was just a fraud. That's what you believed. But now you realize that that belief was wrong. Okay, great. Now you need to turn from that to what you now hear and believe is right about Jesus. You've now been exposed to his word. You've now been exposed to his power, the power of his Holy Spirit. He has now cut you to the heart. Now you turn to the one that you've been denying and and maybe running from, and you embrace him. You accept him. You invite him into your life. Peter would say in verse 38, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, if this is real, this this conviction, you're being cut to the heart, what you believe to be wrong about Jesus, now what you believe to be right about Jesus and what that's produced, if this is real, if this is genuine, if it's real, then understand, there's no secret followers here of Christ. Water baptism is an outward statement of this new inward commitment. It is identifying publicly with the one who has saved you. For the early church, baptism would mark a public break from Judaism. That's what it would, it would stay. That's what I was, but that's not any longer what I am. I am no longer identifying with what I was in Judaism. I am now identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ who has saved me. That's what water baptism publicly said when Jews converted from Judaism to Christianity. And they were saved. Verse 40. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this, this warped generation that is, is not moving towards God, but has an evil been against God. Be, be saved from that. You see, when you... You genuinely turn to Jesus, there is, there is going to be a genuine, real genuine turning from a perverse culture. See, salvation is all about transformation. Transforming people from what they were outside of Christ to now who they are in a relationship with Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul would say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Amen. A new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, now all things become new. Genuine transformation produces a lot of new things. A new view of the world. In 1 John 2, 15, we no longer love the world or the things of the world. We're not to be Conform to the world, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we're no longer at this friendship with the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And to love the world makes 
be an enemy with God. So I have a completely different world view if transformation has genuinely taken place, if I've truly been saved. What was the result? Verse 41. They gladly received or welcomed Peter's word and were baptized. And 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people went. We were wrong about Jesus. We realized what the scriptures say about him. The Holy Spirit took over, cut them to the heart. They genuinely repented. What kind of baptismal service would that have been, by the way? Talk about some sore backs. Wow. The church that Jesus said he would build in Matthew 16 was now birthed and alive. And this is what continues to happen when bodies of believers gather together, just like this group, out of obedience to Christ, listen, with a continued focus on Christ, worshiping him, learning about him. And then what did Peter do? In inviting people to accept Christ. It's going to happen. Genuine conversion is what's going to happen. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is what is going to happen. God's going to be converting and transforming those who are rep repenting. That is what is going to happen. People are going to be like unashamed of following Christ. That's what's going to happen. When the plan of God is genuinely embraced and genuinely lived out by a group of believers. You're going, to, you're going to be seeing all kinds of people getting baptized all the time because the Spirit of God is going to continue to produce the plan of God and fulfill the plan of God. The fulfillment of God's plan has a look to it. And genuine conversion is part of that look. Again, in order for us to be a biblically sound church. What we believe and what we practice, what we do, must line up with God's word. I just, I just, I want this to be a very like all-in moment for us. Over the last year plus now, we have had Thousands and thousands and thousands of more people following us and our teachings. Online, people cruising through here. And, and over the course of that, that time, there was the beginning where the Holy Spirit was doing something very unique and necessary which is part of who he is and part of what he does in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's the God of all comfort, right? And so we needed comfort when this whole pandemic thing first started off. And God brought us comfort, amen? But then as we, we moved through the year and we were going through different scriptures and different passages, the, the, the comfort would, would, would come into like, Convicting. It went from comfort to, to convicting. We were convicted. The, 
like, wow, the whole fear thing and, and how we've got to move past our fear and, and, and faith. We were in the faith-building season. And, and so we went from, like, comfort to conviction to, like, this, we've got to build our faith. And now there comes a time, and I believe this is where we're at, where we go from comfort to conviction to where we're at today is, is grounding. The, the, the Holy Spirit has been building our faith and building our faith and building our faith after he's convicted us and after he's brought comfort to us. And now I believe that it's time to, like, be grounded. Be grounded in our relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. Be grounded in his word and be grounded as a group of believers in what the Father's plan is for the body of Christ. And again, it is so important that we, we understand what we believe and, and what we practice as we are going to be grounded now as a church. Whoever, whoever the Holy Spirit landed here needs to get grounded here. And you need to grow where God plants you. Don't, don't let all the fair weather blowing around stuff blow you around. Grow where God planted you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And if he's planted you in a church in Southern California with a liberal governor, you be the most solid, grounded tree planted by the root of the living water in the state of California that you can be. In the name of Jesus. Just be it. Be it. And may we be that as the church. May we be more, more and more spiritual and less and less political. Immovable. Amen? So we talked about the three important questions that we want to run past our beliefs and by our practices for you that feel that the Holy Spirit has like landed you here. Number one, did Jesus teach it? Number two, is it practiced in the book of Acts? Do we see them practicing it in the book of Acts? Number three, do we see that practice, that teaching reiterated in the epistles? Today we see all kinds of different practices in churches and beliefs in churches that aren't supported by those three principles. You know, in, the, in John 13, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That's what he did. The upper room, it's the last night, and they're dirty feet. No one washed the feet. It's so like, I'm going to use as an example, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, churches over time, there were, there's a group of churches around to this day that they base what they do on foot washings. I wouldn't go there just because it's freaky to me. I wouldn't want you washing my feet. Again, this Sunday, we're going to prove that we are whatever by washing each other's feet. The question is, did Jesus do it? Yeah. Did he teach that we should? No. Was it practiced in the book of Acts? No. Was it ever repeated in the epistles? No. So we, we, we have a standard. It's safe. If we are going to be a biblical, a biblically based group of believers, we should be able to look at what we believe and what we practice and say, did Jesus teach it? Was it practiced in the book of Acts? Was it reiterated again in the epistles? So, did Jesus teach 
salvation. Absolutely. Do we see in the church, in the book of Acts, genuine conversion? Yeah. Do we see them baptizing those that are converted? About 10% of you are with me on this. I thought I had at least 20. We are not going to make it through the rest of this chapter. I can tell. I'm going to have to like drive this point home. We got one more point I can bring up. Genuine salvation takes place. Then there was a focus and an emphasis on God's word where they continued steadfastly in verse 42 in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and then in breaking of bread and then in prayers. Not just conversion, but those converted lives as they were knit together began certain practices. God honoring. It's God's plan. It's the Holy Spirit producing this. This is the church. This is the plan of God for the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Well, what is that? What does that look like? It comes in so many different forms and colors and shapes and sizes today. They were like, well, what is a biblically-based church? This is a biblically-based church. And so next week we're going to go through this particular verse. We're going to break it down and just really break it down. This morning I was approached by Mike and Michelle de Guzman there cleaning out their attic. I don't know what's, you know, they're cleaning out their attic. And they're like, hey, Lance, we have a, a bulletin from Committed Fellowship, 1994. We found it in our attic. I'm like, man, you guys are in the attic, like, was that 27 years ago? You were in your attic. Okay, it's good to revisit that. So let me see that. They gave it to me. Huh. 27 years ago, we were going through the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning. 27 years later, we're still teaching the word of God. Huh. Wait. <laughs> it just gets better. Very small print, so I had to write it down. What else did I see on this flyer from 27 years ago? Hmm. They continued, as it says here, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, teaching the word of God, in fellowship. Here, we have discipleship homes, men's fellowship, missions fellowship, coffee, cu couples coffee night out. Hmm. We have communion on here. And then on Thursday night, we had two midweek services. On our Tuesday night, we taught the Bible. And on Wednesday night, same crowd came and we just prayed. So you look at this and you're like, that's what happened with a bunch of surfers and a bunch of skaters, literally, and their friends. And a guy who owned a surf shop who, who just was full of himself and full of like, I need to just be the next thing in the surf industry. 
And what really grabbed my heart was watching the Holy Spirit change people's lives. I love Jesus. I can't get enough of him. But I could go do that on an island. What he produced, I couldn't get enough of that. The word of God, just a hunger for the word of God as he was feeding me, the spirit was feeding me. The, the, the change in me and Lori, our relationship, the, the, the change in the guys who worked in my surf shop, the, the, the Sean Lawrences and the, the Ron Mukais, just to watch them change. And, and, and to look at the world like is, is not so attractive after a while. And a lot of these people would go on to become very successful in the, the world as far as you know, marriage and careers. And God was, was like doing something in us to send us out to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, our uttermost parts of the earth and, and affect people around wherever we would live life. But what was the nucleus? When we came together, who were we? What were we doing? The exact same thing we're doing 27 years later. And, and, and how many trends through the church and then this thing and that thing just blows through, oh, we got to go do this now. And I'd be like, no, we're not going to go do that now. I remember a cool biker church coming into our area and our Thursday nights dropped by like 70, 80% because all of a sudden, you know, we got a bunch of young people that aren't grounded in the word yet, man. Like, oh, okay, we're surfers. They're bikers. I like motorcycles now. They burn incense in their service. I'm going to go over there. Oh, and, and, and you know, they move them through and they just come right on back after a while. Go, you know what? The incense are so overrated. <laughs> yeah, but check out my tattoo. You know, I got a tattoo weather over there. You guys, you guys understand how privileged we are? Not, not because of myself and Lori and our lead. We're privileged because the Holy Spirit is continuing to fulfill the plan of the Father. And we're just desperate enough for Him and in love enough with Him, our God, to allow Him to continue His plan another week. And may we not deviate as I've been saying, we're following a God who's on a mission. Okay? He's on a mission. <laughs> He's not deviated. Jesus didn't deviate. What he said he would build in the church, what he desires to do by his spirit now through the church, no deviation. The spirit is doing what the spirit said he would do. Okay? I, I just got to line up with that. I've got to be all in with that. And our God is not a God that retreats. Then deviate, and he doesn't retreat. And if we are all in with him, neither shall we. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for just a very honest look at a very raw sermon That one of your boys, one of your sons gave because he was captivated by your son, filled with your spirit. 2,000 years later, his passion, Peter's passion, the work of your spirit continues to grip our hearts. We who are saved, 
We're moved by these words. Further grateful, filled with appreciation. Those who hear these same words, they're not saved. They continue to be convicted. And as we close out our time, if that if that's you, again, here, online, wherever, and you just feel like, man, I have been wrong about Jesus. I get it. And I realize today I need to be, I need to, to believe in him and put my faith in him. Would you pray these very words to him? Just say it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you for convicting. Thank you that your Holy Spirit penetrated my soul. And I realize I need you. Just tell him that. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross for me and three days later you rose from the dead. Just tell him that. And ask him to save you. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior now. Ask him to fill you with his spirit and to to remove all of that sin from your life. Ask him to fill you with his love. Love for him, love for the body of Christ, love for the lost, love for his word, love for heaven. Thank you, Father, for fulfilling your plan yet another day. We're honored to be part of it. May we stay faithful to you and true to your plan. We ask this in Jesus, your name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful celebration. Men, today is a good day for some foot washing. God bless you.